0: Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We like to begin our services with this greeting Christians have been using for a long, long time. The Lord be with you. Thank you. We believe that's true, that God meets us as we gather together to worship Him uh, here in the room. And, and for those of you gathering online, God meets you right where you are as well. And we're glad that you've uh, joined us to worship with us today. Um, let's bow our heads and pray as we begin. Thank you, God. For the opportunity uh, to gather together to worship you, to sing to you and pray to you, to uh, listen for your spirit speaking through the scriptures, to gather around the table of our Lord Jesus. Uh, God, we're just grateful because you know we, we need time to, uh, to focus our attention on you and not on the thousand other things that need our attention all week long. So today I pray that you'd help us uh, not to forget about all that stuff, but that maybe we can just bring it all to you today so that you can be the God who rules over all of our lives, so that your peace can permeate everything that we do throughout our week, so that we can receive your grace to strengthen us and guide us and help us with all of the the questions and the frustrations and the pain and whatever it is that we carry with us into this time, into this place. God, you are so good, and we are so grateful. Please, would you bless us with an awareness of your presence today, pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, I was out of town last week. I didn't get to be with you. And the last Sunday I was with you, I think we didn't, was that the Sunday we didn't have music and everything? Yeah. So I am, uh, I'm grateful that Scott is, uh, is ready, ready and willing to lead us this morning. So if you are too, let's, let's stand and let's sing as we begin.
1: You died. You said in three days you would rise. You did your life. You rule. You reign. You said you're coming back again. I know you will. our sins away, oh God. You give, you gave your life away for us. You came down, you saved us through the cross. Our hearts are changed because of your great love. lived, you died, you said in three days you would rise you did you're alive you rule, you reign. you said you're coming back again, I know you will and all sins away, oh God. You give, you gave your life away for us. You came down, you saved us through the cross. Our hearts are changed because of your great love. You lived, you died, you said in three days you would rise. You did. You're alive. You rule, you reign. You said you're coming back again. I know you will all the earth will sing your praises Sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. What a peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. Oh, because we do not care. Trials and temptations Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged Take it to the Lord in prayer Can we find a friend so faithful Who will all our sorrows share? Knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Friends despise, forsake thee, take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee, thou wilt find a solace there. I'd like to read from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. Verses 23 and 24. The word of the Lord. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Giving you my heart and all that is within, lay it all down for the sake of you, my king, giving you my dreams, laying down my rights, giving up my pride for the promise of new life and I I surrender. You hold to you, and I, I surrender all to you, all to you. Singing you this song, waiting at the cross, and all the world holds dear, I count it all as lost. For the sake of knowing you The glory of your name To know the lasting joy Even sharing in your pain And I I surrender All to you All to you And I, I surrender Surrender all, and I, I surrender all to you, all to you. And I, I surrender all to you, all to you.
2: Psalm 96, sing a new song to the Lord. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Each day proclaim the good news that he saves. Publish his glorious deeds among the nations. Tell everyone about the amazing things he does. Great is the Lord, he is most worthy of praise. He is feared above all gods. The gods of other nations are mere idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty surround him strength and beauty fill his sanctuary amen and amen pray with me would you lord we thank you this morning we give you praise and honor and glory lord as the the god who made the heavens and the earth who has created all that we see now all that has been in the past and all that will be in the future lord it's all because of you we thank you lord that you've invited us into the sanctuary that you have filled You were already here before we ever stepped foot in here this morning. and Lord, we're so grateful that we can so easily come into your presence because you have invited us here. Father, I I thank you for each person that has walked through this week, some facing some really tough trials, some facing some really great blessings and victories. Either way, Lord, you have been with them. You've been with us. We thank you for that, Lord. I thank you for each person that that has humbled themselves this morning before you, waiting, anticipating to hear from you, Lord. Whatever it is that you have in your word this morning that Pastor Rich is sharing with us, Lord, I pray that it would touch us, that it would sink down into us, Lord, that it would become part of us. And Lord, as we go away from this place changed, after we hear from you, as we hear from you, Lord, I just pray that it will make a difference. It will make a difference wherever we go, whether we're going to the supermarket, we're going to work, we're going to hang out with friends, we're going to school. Wherever we find ourselves, Lord, may we be different because we've been here and because we've been in your presence. Be with the rest of the service, Lord. Be with Pastor Rich. And we pray these things in your precious and holy name. Amen, amen. And now the peace of the Lord be with you. And
0: also with you.
2: Take a few moments, if you will, and pass the peace amongst yourselves. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Well, hopefully, uh, all of you guys got one of these when you came in—a little uh, handout, bulletin, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's got some information about uh, what's going on this week and. Uh, Also, it's got these links on it that are on the screen. Uh, We would love to connect with you if there's uh, a way we can be praying for you or uh, thanking God with you or answering a question for you. You can go to livinghope.info slash connect and you can fill out that little digital connect card and uh, or those of you here in the room, you can just go grab one of the little green cards off the table back there and jot your info and your question on it or, or how we can pray for you and just drop it in the offering box and if you're giving today, you can drop that in that box as well or you can give online and, uh, and again, a huge thanks to all of you who give faithfully to support the work that God is doing uh, week in and week out. Uh, you guys respond to special initiatives but then also many of you just make sure that you just faithfully give to make sure the lights stay on and the heat stays on and we've got a building that we can do things like the overnight warming center, uh, which continues, by the way. We had said we would keep doing this overnight warming center till the overnight temperatures quit trending below zero. And uh, we're getting now to the end of winter where you know we might have a few nights in a row that are warm and then a few nights that are low, and I think, I think March 14th is gonna have to be like, okay, we just can't keep going beyond March 14th, uh, even though the weather might still dip up and down a little bit, so for at least the next couple of weeks, we're gonna have folks staying here every night from 8 p.m. to 7 a.m. and uh, If you would like to help uh, to uh, cover one of those shifts uh, we'd love to have you Um, so thank you to those of you who have been like I said giving faithfully just we have a building some of you have been dropping off food or water those sorts of things Um, some of you have been uh, helping to volunteer Uh, it's all all ways that we can serve uh, the let's see we usually have between uh, like 10 and 15 on any given night and we've probably had I haven't counted all the different names. We've had at least 30 people uh, that have cycled through over the last couple of months uh, who have had a warm, safe place to sleep uh, because of you. So thank you for being a part of that. Um, Let's see. Oh, I also needed to make sure and let you know that uh, we're doing this I have, what's, what do I have up with our next? Is it the bra drive? Yeah, the bra drive that's still ongoing. I know February's almost over. You can drop off used bras here anytime, year round, but in February we make sure and let you know about the good work that Free the Girls does uh, helping women who are escaping from sex slavery. And there are some little handouts out on the table out there. If you want to know more about them, uh, or you can go to their website, freethegirls.org, and you can read some stories. Of, there's some stories out there of a couple different women that they've helped, uh, who've, uh, and that's just two of dozens of women that they've helped in uh, multiple different countries and that you have helped if you have ever dropped off used bras in the collection thing out there then uh, you have helped them to have uh, inventory that they can sell to then provide for themselves their families all the rest so thank you for being a part of that uh, we are going to have our quick annual meeting after this service, so right in between. If you want to stick around, uh, you get a copy of the budget, uh, you get a chance to vote for who's serving on the board for the coming year, uh, that sort of thing, and just little updates about how things are going. And uh, We just do that once a year. We have to have like an official business meeting. Those who have committed to membership in the church, their votes get counted officially for those things, but we, we always like to hear from all of you, so if you want to stick around for that, uh, that'll be like a little 15-minute uh, in between the services meeting. And then I don't have this on the screen, but it's on the back of here that if you like making desserts and want to drop some off, we're helping to provide desserts for Hilltop Neighborhood House. They have their big soups fundraiser this Wednesday. And so that's happening at VU at the Harry Union. And if you want to get tickets for that, uh, I'm sure we can get you tickets. Oh, my wife Stacy's saying, hey, I've got tickets. So if you want tickets, uh, Stacy will be happy to sell you tickets to that. But if you want to help provide the desserts, they have like, I don't know, a dozen, 20 some restaurants that all make soup and your ticket gets you in, and you get to sample all those different soups, if you want, uh, until you burst from all the soup. Uh, <clears throat> and then there's also a whole bunch of desserts, and we help provide some of those desserts. So if you wanna make some desserts, you can drop them off here by Wednesday at noon, and then we can get them uh, over to VU, and they can get them all ready to be set out. So, um, and then. If you do get one of these, then you notice underneath those little announcements in the back are just people to pray for, people in the church who aren't feeling well uh, or who have family that they have specific prayer requests for um, or just for various needs like praying for all of those who are, who are staying with us overnight and for those who are volunteering. And that's one way if you want to share something that you need prayer about and you want to share it with your church family, you can let us know on those little green cards or, or those uh, digital connect cards. We'd love to be praying for you. All right, today we wrap up the book of Exodus uh, with... uh I, I kind of want to ask, but I don't really want to know how many of you actually read the whole book of Exodus this month. Uh, you know, this year we're, we're taking a, a different book of the Bible each month and, uh, and going through it. And we are tackling some of the, Genesis was easy last month, right? It's all these stories, it's fun stuff. You know, you, every now and then you come across something weird but then it's like, oh, but it's, still, it's an interesting story. That, you know, they could make a movie out of this one. Uh, then you get to Exodus and the first part they have made movies out of, you know, where God hears the cries of his people in slavery in Egypt and he comes down to rescue and he sends Moses and all the, the stuff he does in Egypt and rescuing them and through the Red Sea and th- that whole miracle. I mean, there movies have been made about that part, uh, right up to the part that uh, Pastor Judy talked about last week, where Moses goes up on the mountain and meets with God and receives the Ten Commandments, right? That's, that's all in the movie. The second half of the book usually is not, because the second half of the book, you got a bunch of, uh, a bunch of rules, a bunch of laws um, about ways they're supposed to handle different situations, and then you get all of this discussion of uh, this tabernacle and how to build it and what goes into that. And it seems like it goes on forever, all right? I mean, for me, I had to just let the Bible app on my phone read that part to me. And I'll just be honest, I didn't pay real close attention to some parts of it, you know, because uh, it just gets kind of tedious, you know. Why do I need to know how many loops are at the top of the curtains that are going in the tabernacle as they're making, you know, putting it all together? Uh, but it goes into great detail about all of this, and we're going to talk about why in just a minute. But first, to help you get a sense of the whole, uh, we watched the first half. You guys didn't watch the second half last week, right? Okay, I didn't think so. I watched the service, and I didn't didn't think think you had. Uh this is part two of the Bible Project's video walking through the book of Exodus, all right? It's like five or six minutes, and then, we'll, and then we'll keep going.
3: The book of Exodus. In the first video, we explored chapters 1 through 18, which tell the foundational story of how God rescued the enslaved Israelites by confronting and defeating Pharaoh, while offering a way of escape through the blood of the Passover lamb. God then delivered his people by bringing them through the waters of the sea and then into the wilderness, where, surprisingly, they grumbled and complained. Now, the second half of the book of Exodus opens as Moses leads Israel to the foot of Mount Sinai, where God invites the nation of Israel to enter into a covenant relationship. And here we reach another key moment in the biblical storyline because this is picking up and developing God's promise to Abraham. So remember, from the book of Genesis, God promised that through Abraham's family, somehow he would restore his blessing to all of the nations. And here we find out more. God says that if Israel obeys the terms of the covenant, they will be so shaped by God's laws and teaching and justice that they will become a kingdom of priests which means that they will become God's representatives and show all of the other nations what God is truly like. Now, the people of Israel eagerly accept the offer, and so God's presence appears right on the top of Mount Sinai in the form of cloud and lightning and thunder. And Moses goes up as their representative, and God opens with the basic terms of the covenant, the famous Ten Commandments. These are like the basic terms of the agreement how the Israelites and God are going to relate to each other. And then after this come another collection of commands which fill out the first ten in more detail. There are laws about Israel's worship, about social justice, how they are to live together, all shaping Israel into a nation of justice and generosity that's different from the other nations. So Moses writes down all of these laws and he brings them down to the people who, again, eagerly agree to enter into this covenant with God. And once they do so, God takes the relationship forward another step. He tells Moses that he wants his holy and divine and good presence to come and dwell right in the midst of Israel, which develops another aspect of God's covenant promises. So remember, after humanity's rebellion in the garden, it was access to God's presence that was lost. But now it's through the family of Abraham that God's presence is becoming once again accessible through this covenant relationship. And first with Israel, and then somehow one day to all nations. So what follows are seven chapters of detailed architectural blueprints about this sacred tent called the tabernacle. There's an outer courtyard with an altar, and then in the center there's a tent that has an outer room and then an inner room. And then inside the inner room, which is called the most holy space, is a golden box called the Ark of the Covenant. And there's angelic creatures over the top of it. It's the hot spot of God's presence. Now, there's lots of detail in these chapters, and it's important to know that every piece has some kind of symbolic value. All of the flowers, the angels, the gold, and the jewels, it all echoes back to the Garden of Eden, the place where God and humans live together in intimacy. And so the tabernacle is like a portable Eden, so to speak. It's the place where God and Israel can live together in peace, at least in theory, because right here, something goes really, really wrong. Israel breaks the covenant. As Moses is up on the mountain receiving the blueprints for the tabernacle, down below at the camp, the Israelites, they're losing patience. And so they ask Moses' brother Aaron to make for them a golden calf idol so they can worship it as the God who saved them out of slavery in Egypt. Now God's presence, it's right there on top of the mountain. They can see it. But here they are below, breaking the first two commands of the covenant they just agreed to, no other gods, and no idols. Now what follows is really important. God knows what's happening down below. And so he first invites Moses into his own anger and pain. And he tells Moses what he wants to do, just to wipe Israel out. But Moses intercedes by appealing to God's character. He says, first of all, destroying Israel would be going back on your covenant promises to Abraham. And then Moses appeals to God's reputation among the nations. What would they think if they see you destroying your own people? And so God accepts Moses' intercession, and he relents. And while he does bring his judgment on those who instigated the idolatry, he forgives the nation as a whole and promises to renew his covenant. And it's right here, at this point in the story, that God, for the first time, describes his own character to Moses. He says, the Lord is merciful, he's gracious, he's slow to anger, abounding in covenant faithfulness. He forgives sin, but he will not leave the wicked unpunished. So we have this tension. God is full of mercy, but also he must deal with evil if he claims to be good. And above all, God is faithful to his promises, even though it means he knows he's committing himself to a people who are utterly faithless. And so after renewing the covenant with Israel, God commissions Moses to go ahead and build the tabernacle. And once again, we get five long chapters describing in detail the construction of the tabernacle. And it all comes together in the final chapter, where the tabernacle's finished. God's glorious divine presence comes and hovers over the tent, and our hopes are high. And so Moses, he goes right up to enter into the tent, and he can't. He actually can't go in, and that's how the book ends. It's really surprising, but not really if you think about it you can see now how much Israel's sin has damaged the relationship with God in more ways than we realized so the book opened remember with Pharaoh's evil threatening Israel and threatening God's covenant promise but now as the book ends Israel has become its own worst enemy it's their sin that's threatening the future of the covenant and so the question, as the book closes, is how is God going to reconcile this conflict between his holiness and his goodness and his presence with the sinful corruption of his own covenant people? The solution to that problem is what the next book is about, but for now, that's the book of Exodus.
0: Yeah, so next week we'll start Leviticus and it gets into how to solve that problem that they just mentioned. But, um, <clears throat> <laughs> Sorry, I just I had to laugh back there as he, he mentioned like and then we get into five long chapters about the temple how the tabernacle is built and and if you did try to read through Exodus you you know the feeling, right? Um, but there's there's important stuff in the second half of this book uh, as God moves from the mountaintop down to the midst of the people as they as they do build that tabernacle which I, don't, I didn't necessarily pick up on this as I'm reading it, but then once I, you know, read the other books and the people who study it in the original languages and all that kind of stuff, and I look a little more closely, and I, I quit just kind of skimming and start actually looking at the words on the page, you know, there are all these words as they describe that tabernacle that do uh, connect with the Garden of Eden story back in Genesis. So when they describe that as being like a little portable Eden, that's kind of the feeling that you would get if you were able to walk into that space and, and see what you would see there with this... Uh, uh, you know, there's uh, woven tapestries of these cherubim, the angels, which were the ones, those angels that were guarding the door to make sure they couldn't get back into the garden to eat from the tree of life. And oh, and in there is this, this elaborate candelabra, this lampstand that looks like a, a tree with flames in it, uh, which may have reminded them of the burning bush or may have reminded them of the tree of life back in that garden. And, uh, and, of course, in the most holy space in the middle was that Ark of the Covenant that, you know, melts your face off if you're a Nazi and you're in an Indiana Jones movie, right? And that's that, that's that place where God promises. Here's, it's like God's throne. Like, this is where God meets with his people. This is where his presence uh, resides. And so we see in the course of the book the presence of God moves from the mountaintop down to the midst of the people. And God goes with his people. Um uh, I know there are times where we wonder, just like the people of Israel did, is God with us still? I mean, he, he did some good stuff for us, right, in the past. I can look back and see that, like, you know, yeah, God, you helped me with that, and you helped me with that, and, you know, like, they could look back and say, yeah, you rescued us from slavery in Egypt, and you got us through, away from the Egyptians through the, through the water, and you even provided water in the, in the wilderness for us to drink, but now we've been camped out at this mountain for a while, and we're not sure where to go from here. And the guy you sent to lead us has been up there for 40 days. And, you know, people don't normally, if they're up on a mountain for 40 days, you kind of figure they're probably not coming back. You know, I didn't take that much food with him when he went up there. You know, they're probably thinking to themselves. And so, God, what's, what's next? And I'm guessing you've been in that kind of spot, you know, where you kind of wonder, God, what's, what, what about now? <laughs> you've done some great things in the past, but now I don't, I don't really see you around I'm not sure if, if we're going to make it through this. And this is, the, this is the God, this is the story that tells us that God does go with us, that God's desire is to live among us, even as screwed up as we are, even though we continue to put ourselves in all kinds of messes, God wants to be with us in our midst as we go through life, as we face our challenges, that God is not distant, um, but he is with us. Now, that doesn't mean that God is like just our buddy, you know, like the old Buddy Christ uh, statue from a movie from several years ago, or, uh, or that he's just some kind of, you know, divine vending machine that we can just turn to any moment that we need something, like, oh, I just got to go and put in my prayers and push the button, and okay, God's blessings come right out, you know. God's not exactly safe still. You know, when they looked at the top of the mountain, uh, I don't remember where I left off as far as this stuff goes, but uh, did I read any of these verses yet in the, in the thing? Now, okay, so if you're looking at your notes, we've got several verses here from Exodus 24. It talks about Moses going up on the mountain, the cloud covering it, the glory of the Lord settling on Mount Sinai. For six days, the cloud covered the mountain. And the seventh, uh, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. I'm just imagining, my boys kind of love that image of volcanoes, you know. Uh, they're seven, you know, so that's like really exciting to them. You know, lava and all of that. And so I'm just kind of imagining at the bottom of this, and up top is this thick, dark cloud, and you can see the glow coming from it, like there's this consuming fire on top of the mountain. And Moses walks into that cloud. So as he entered the cloud as he went up on the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain 40 days, 40 nights. This is, it's not like God is safe, you know. C.S. Lewis did that great thing in the Chronicles of Narnia novels that I read over and over again on a loop when I was a kid, you know, about where Jesus is portrayed as the lion, Aslan. I know the little kids meet or hear of him for the first time. They're they're scared, but they're like, but he's, but he's safe, right? And they're like, well, no, he's not safe, but he's good, right? God isn't safe, but he's good. He can be trusted. He's a consuming fire up on this mountain, but we can trust in God's goodness. And so, Up on the mountain, God says to Moses, have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. You must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern I'll show you. So like God shows them this pattern, which gets very detailed, and uh, and tells them, here's how you build this thing. Here's how you build this tent. It's not going to be just like an ordinary tent. It's going to be a special tent. It's going to remind you of, you of Eden, of creation, of my goodness, of my presence. And as we just read, while Moses is up there, uh, it says, when the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron, his brother. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. You now, they kind of they attribute this stuff to Moses. And Moses, I'm sure, would have said, no, 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 it's God who let us out. You know, I'm just the guy he sent to, to do it. But they're impatient. They're giving up on Moses. And, and so up on the mountain, the Lord told Moses, quick, go down the mountain. Your people, whom you brought from the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves how quickly they've turned away from the way I commanded them to live they've melted down gold and made a calf and they've bowed down and sacrificed to it they are saying these are your gods O Israel who brought you out of the land of Egypt Which kind of reminds me of all the times we give other people or other things credit for the stuff that God has done for us and we think that we accomplished that or something we forget that God's the one who accomplished it anyway sorry. I and the Lord said, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them, and I will destroy them. Then I'll make you, Moses, into a great nation. So God's just saying, like, leave me alone. i got to get good and ticked off. You know, I'm on my way there. I need you to just back up a minute because I'm, I'm working up ahead of steam, and then I'll be able to you know, really smite them, and I'll just start over with you. But Moses, this translation says, tried to pacify the Lord his God. Oh, Lord, he said. Why are you so angry with your own people whom you brought from the land of Egypt with such great power and such a strong hand? Why let the Egyptians say, there God rescued them with the evil intention of slaughtering them in the mountains and wiping them from the face of the earth? Turn away from your fierce anger. Change your mind about this terrible disaster you've threatened against your people. Remember, your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you bound yourself with an oath to them saying, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven. And I will give them all of this land that I promised to your descendants, and they will possess it forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring on his people. Is this making you think of any other stories we've looked at in the Bible so far? It makes me think of that story in Genesis, where... God comes down and meets with Abraham to say, hey, I've heard an outcry from the people down here in Sodom and Gomorrah, and I've come to see if it's as bad as I've, as I've said it is. And if it is, I'm going to destroy it. And Abraham thinks of his nephew Lot, and Abraham tries to bargain with him. I'm like, well, what if there are 50 righteous people there? You're, you're a righteous judge. You wouldn't destroy the righteous with the wicked, right? And okay, if there's 50, I won't destroy it. And he, what about 45? What about 40, he gets them all the way down to 10. And, uh, and God says, okay, fine. If, if, if I find 10, I won't, won't destroy it. You know, this idea of pleading with God. This isn't the first time we've heard someone pleading with God, asking God to change his mind about something. Moses appeals to God on the basis of who he is, on the basis of his reputation with with the nations and the promises he's made, and says, God, surely, you know, I I know you. This isn't the kind of God that you are. This isn't the kind of God you've promised to be. So will you please, will you you change your mind? And God does. Uh, This challenges that perspective some of us have sometimes. It just kind of says, well, whatever God wants to happen is going to happen. And it's kind of this fatalistic idea that, like, whatever I do doesn't really matter because God's going to do what God's going to do. And so I'll just kind of do my best to do whatever I'm supposed to do in this life and whatever. God's going to do what God's going to do. That's not the picture we get in the Bible. The picture we get in the Bible is a God who is interacting with us, who wants us to be in dialogue with him, who wants us to have conversation with him, who wants us to appeal to him when we have a need. And and he's a God who reveals his character to us as the kind of God who actually listens, who cares. So we're not like some of the other people we read about in the Bible or maybe you've seen in life who, like, think, okay, I've got to try to somehow get God's attention and I've got to work really hard. And there's a great story in uh, first or second kings about Elijah and these prophets of another king, another God, and they're like cutting themselves, they're doing all they can to try to get their God's attention to hear their prayers. And you know, we don't have to jump through those hoops for God to, to hear us. We just have to reach out to Him. We just have to tell Him what we need. Because He He desires to be with us. He desires to live among us. So please don't, don't walk through life with a fatalistic well, whatever's going to happen is going to happen, and especially if you mess up, don't think, well, I blew it. You know, I know God wanted me to, to live this life, but I've already kind of started down this other path, and I guess that dream is dead. And I'll just, say, well, whatever, I'll just give up. Oh, don't don't give in to that, that temptation, uh, that lie that the enemy might try to tell you that your life is over or that uh, that the plans God had for you are done. So the the God we see in the Bible is a God who hears, who cares, and, and I think honestly. Sometimes I think God is like kind of waiting for us to ask, waiting for us to, to come to him, to plead with him. And I think that's why he says this to Moses, you know, because God could have just said, get down the mountain and deal with those people and then worked up his head of steam and, you know, smote them all. But he says it to Moses, I think, like as an invitation for Moses to talk him out of it, you know, to persuade him to, to love his people, to forgive his people. And so God does. He changes his mind. As we heard in the video, and and as you might have read for yourself, there are still consequences. Uh, Some of them pretty dire. Some some of them fatal for some of the people in the story. Some of them just gross. Moses gets down there, and he, like, melts down the calf and puts it in water and makes the people drink it. Um, Which is, like, I I just, then I just kind of think, oh, so all that gold now is in you and is going to come out of you. And, like, that's what God thinks of these other little gods that we worship. They're just a bunch of, you know. Um, Anyway. So there's all kinds of consequences that they suffer as a result of this. And, uh, but, but God forgives the people as a whole, and God doesn't destroy them and start over with Moses. But God does say in Exodus 13, or 33, then the next chapter, the Lord said to Moses, Get going, you and the people you brought up from the land of Egypt. Go up to the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I told them I'll give this land to your descendants, and I'll send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, otherites i'll draw to send them all out go up to this land that flows with milk and honey but i'll not travel among you for you're a stubborn and rebellious people if i did i would surely destroy you along the way <laughs> that's yeah some of you are chuckling is like you can kind of you can kind of feel that feeling you know you can understand that feeling you've been maybe if you're a parent you've felt that frustration <laughs> you know at some point um i can understand that frustration perhaps um So God says, no, I'm not going with you. You go, I'll send an angel, you'll be taken care of. I'll make good on the promise, but I can't go with you. I'm staying here on this mountain. You guys guys go. And again, Moses pleads with God. Uh, We see him say, uh, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people. On the earth. And the Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you've asked, for I look favorably on you and I know you by name. Moses says, God, the the thing that makes us different, the thing that makes us different from the Egyptians or all those other rites that you're going to drive out of that land, or all these other nations around us that worship these other gods, the thing that makes us unique is that you are with us. Your presence with us sets us apart. It's not just that we've got a bunch of commands to follow that you've given us that we might or might not, you know, follow very well. You know, it's not just that we, like, are going to be morally better people or something. Um, It's not just that we're free from the slavery we were in. What sets us apart is you and your presence with us. When was the last time you thought about God being present with you? Like in a way that you could sense, in a way that you were aware of. Um, there's, a, there's one of the Psalms where, where David says, As the deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you, God. And I, I remember in my high school years, there's a song that was written about that, you know, with all the good King James, you know, deer panteth for the water, uh, kind of stuff in it. Um, and I can remember, you know, as a, as a teenager thinking, okay, God, do, do I really want you that much? Like, like somebody who's thirsty needs water. Do I want your presence that much in my life? And it's like a real reflective kind of a, kind of a song. And this little bit right here of Moses interacting with God, uh, I guess kind of pushes me to that same kind of reflection. You know, do I want God to be present in my life? Or do I just want God to like, set me free from some of my bad habits and, and give me some direction and, and send me on my way? And what, Would I have done what Moses did? If God said, oh, I'll send an angel, uh, you'll get the land, but I'm not going with you. What I have just said, oh, okay, thanks. You know, thanks for freedom. Thanks for the land. See ya. you. Know. Moses says, no, we, we need your presence with us. Because we're going to need you to continue guiding us. We're going to need you to continue giving us strength. We're going we're to need you to continue to be gracious and forgive. God, we need your presence with us. We want this ongoing relationship with you. We we don't want you to be a distant God that is just part of the stories that we tell about our past. Do you want God to be present with you? Do you want that relationship with him where where you have a, a shot of actually hearing him speak as you go through your day, guiding you, comforting you perhaps, challenging you perhaps? Moses wanted that. And said, this, it's not worth us leaving, God, if you don't go with us. And so God says, okay, I'll go. All this Moses interceding for the people reminds us, like, okay, sometimes we, as the people of God, we need someone to intercede on, on our behalf. And that's an image that gets picked up in the New Testament and pointed to Jesus, that Jesus is our great high priest, that Jesus is the one who intercedes with God on our behalf, who speaks to the Father about us, who persuades our Heavenly Father to, to not give up on us, you know, perhaps, or to be gracious to us. That we have someone we can trust. The book of Hebrews talks about him having been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he was without sin. So, so when we find ourselves in need of mercy and grace, when we find ourselves having fallen on our face or, or facing our, a moment of weakness, and we need strength to, to avoid giving in, we can come to God because of Jesus. We can approach his throne of grace to receive that mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Moses is kind of this, they call it like a pre-figure of Christ. He's like letting us know, like, okay, so people sometimes need someone to intercede for them, someone to step in on their behalf. Let's see what that, where that goes as the story continues. Well, as, as this story continues, uh, Moses interacting with God, we have this, this passage where uh, they, they highlighted in the video where God reveals his character to Moses. It says, the Lord passed in front of Moses calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy... I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. Which reminds me of something we just heard last week. As Pastor Judy was reading the Ten Commandments, There's the one about not making graven images. And God says something very similar you know about about uh, sins being visited on the third and fourth generations but God maintaining love for a thousand generations to those who love and fear him and that that seems to be what's going on here that, that God is saying look there are consequences for our sin and sometimes that does impact our kids our grandkids that can that can last for generations some of you live with the consequences of your parents decisions every day some of those negative decisions that they made but it continues to to make clear that oh okay, wait a minute you know, but if if these kind of things might last for three or four generations, God, God lavishes unfailing love to a thousand generations. It, it tries to make clear that God's love and God's grace far outweighs the consequences of our sins, of our failures. And he lavishes this unfailing love to a thousand generations. I know uh, sometimes whenever I'm up here and I end up... Quoting John 3.16, you know, forgot to love the world, he gave his one only son. Um, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There was one Sunday I tried to do that on the spur of the moment and I had this brain freeze and I couldn't come up with. John 3.16, good grief. Uh, but whenever I do end up quoting it up here, I often say, you know, the most famous verse in all the Bible, John 3.16. And many of us have heard it and we've seen people hold it up, you know, back when you could do that, behind the uh, goalpost at a football game or, or whatever. Um, but this passage right here from Exodus 34 is the passage that gets quoted the most in other parts of the Bible. This this revelation of God's character, of who God is, gets picked up in the Psalms, in Jonah, in other prophets, in the New Testament, gets picked up over and over again. This revelation of God being a God of compassion and mercy, slow to anger, filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. This is at the core of who God is. And, by the way, might be one of the reasons why Exodus... Spends all this time describing how to build the tabernacle and then spends all this time about actually building the tabernacle because in the middle of it is this. In the middle of all of that, it's kind it's of like, it's like a, a painting or something, you know, where there's like lots of stuff around the outside that draws your attention to this something different in the middle. And the something different in the middle is God revealing himself to Moses in this moment when his people have been unfaithful, in this moment where the people have failed, God saying, I'm the God of compassion and mercy. I'm slow to anger. I'm filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I, I think it's kind of like the, the bullseye, at the center of the target. And he's, he's trying to make sure we don't miss this. This is the God who goes with his people. This is the God who sets his people free. This is the God who leads them into the promised land. This is the God who eventually, generations later, when the time is right, shows up on the scene in Jesus. The God of compassion and mercy, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. This is the God who loves you and loves me. It's the God who invites us to come to him to receive that compassion and mercy. So as the story continues, they do build the tabernacle. And here's, here are the actual last verses of the book of Exodus. I put it right here. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So the cloud and everything that was on top of the mountain, it's like it just kind of moves on down to the, to the tabernacle, to this tent. And Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud had settled down over it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now whenever the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out on their journey following it. But if the cloud did not rise, they remained where they were until it lifted. The cloud of the Lord hovered over the tabernacle during the day and at night fire glowed inside the cloud so the whole family of Israel could see it. This continued throughout all their journeys. Exodus scroll gets rolled up. Time to pull out the Leviticus scroll. So that's that's how Exodus ends. With the people of God aware of God's presence in their midst, but also aware that they can't quite enter into his presence. Even Moses, who was face-to-face with God on the mountain, now there's something preventing him from being able to to enter into that, that meeting place. But the people of God, they're following God. He's in their midst. He's with them. I just put one other verse there in your notes before we move to communion. Um, And that's what John and his gospel, you know, we've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that tell us about Jesus. And John doesn't tell us about angels and shepherds and uh, wise men and stars or any of that. John looks back to the beginning of God's creation and, uh, and says the word was with God. The word was God. In the beginning, all things were made through him. He's picking up on this, this Greek idea of the logos, the, the reason, the rationale behind all creation, but this, this word. And then in verse 14, he says, so the word became human and made his home among us. Or some translations say dwelt among us. And the word there is could be translated tabernacled among us. The, the word became human and, and tabernacled among us. He was full of unfailing love. And faithfulness, reaching back to that description of God's character. And we have seen his glory, the same glory that filled the tabernacle, the same glory that had settled on the mountain. We have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. This is Jesus, who is also known as Emmanuel, God with us. This is God's presence with us today. The God who goes with us. The God who doesn't leave us stuck in our sin, who doesn't leave us wandering through a wilderness somewhere, the God who refuses to let us just live in the mess that we make of ourselves and doesn't just, you know, get angry and smite us. This is the God who comes to us in Jesus, and he takes the hit. If you Watch my video, you can't see the cross I'm pointing to behind me on the wall. He takes the, the hit. He takes the weight of our sin and death on himself. So that we can be set free. So that we can receive his life. So that we can know without a shadow of a doubt that he is with us and he is for us. We're going to celebrate that in the sacrament of communion just now. So let's bow our heads and let's pray before we do. God, we are so grateful that you have not kept your distance from us. Uh, but from the, from the very beginnings of the Bible, we see you walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. We see you coming down to rescue your people from slavery. We see you uh, moving with your people through the wilderness, through their struggles, uh, right there living in their midst. Thank you, God, that in Jesus Christ, you you have lived in our midst. You have walked in our shoes. You know what this is like to live as a human being with all of our weakness, all our frailty, all our struggles. God, every single one of us, as we think about our lives, as we think about the lives we've lived up to this moment, and as we think about the week to come and the year to come, God, we we are aware of our weakness, our need for help, our need for your grace. Thank you. Thank you for coming to us so that we can receive your mercy and grace. In Jesus Christ, so that we can know that sin does not have the final say in our lives, even death doesn't have the final say. But your love and your grace are what defines us and, and what will what will finally give the meaning in the end of our lives. It will not be our sin. It will not even be our death. But the final chapters of our life, of our lives, are, are written by you. Your grace wins, your love wins, your life wins wins. Thank you, God. Thank you for walking with us through this life. Thank you that today, as we, as we find ourselves in need of your grace, you are, you are ready and willing to give it. So God, in this sacrament of communion, we offer to you these, these simple gifts of bread and juice, and we pray that by your Spirit's presence here among us, we might meet our crucified and risen Savior in his body and in his blood, Thank you, God, for holding nothing back, but giving all of yourself to us in your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for holding nothing back, but giving all of yourself to us in your death and resurrection, and now you give us your Holy Spirit to live within us so that we can be this this living temple that carries your spirit around here in this earth. God, we remember your great love as you have conquered sin and death and the devil in the the life, death, and resurrection of your Son Jesus Christ. We offer you ourselves, and we pray that by your Spirit's work in our lives today, that we might be changed, that we might live in this world as the body of Christ, as your hands and feet, as your sons and daughters. We acknowledge our need of your grace the ways in which we have not loved you with all that we are, not loved our neighbors as ourselves, the ways that we have violated your commands. And we thank you, God, for being compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Give us your grace today. Help us to experience it. Help us to to taste it. Help us to know your grace at the core of who we are so that we can know that we are forgiven, set free, alive so that we can know that you are with us. Thank you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you pray with me the prayer Jesus taught us? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Uh, Scott's going to come and lead us in one last song as we celebrate communion together. I'll be here with a basket of bread and a cup of juice. And uh, you are invited, as we sing, to come forward. Take bread from the basket, dip it in the juice, and eat it, and return to your seats. It's open to all of us who are saying yes to Jesus today. All of us who are hungry for his grace, who need to know his presence with us. Maybe you just need to be able to, I don't know, touch the bread, taste the juice. Maybe you need a tangible reminder of God's presence with you. If so, that, that reminder is here. Um, if, if you don't feel comfortable joining the crowd, there's, there's some little cups on the tables. You can use those and peel it back as well. Uh, but let's, let's say yes to Jesus today. Let's celebrate his presence with us.
1: Love is this, O oh my soul, O oh my soul! What wondrous love is this, O oh my soul! What wondrous love is this that caused the Lord of Bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul, for my soul? To bear the dreadful curse for my soul When I was sinking down Sinking down, sinking down When I was sinking down Sinking down When I was sinking down down, God's righteous frown Christ laid aside His crown For my soul For my soul Christ laid aside His crown For my soul To God and to the Lamb I will sing I will sing to god and to the lamb i will sing to god and to the lamb who is the great i am while millions join the theme i will sing i will sing from death i'm free i'll sing on i'll sing on and when from death i'm free i'll sing on and when from death i'm free i'll sing and joyful be and through eternity i'll sing on i'll sing on
0: eternity has seen thank you God. Thank you for the grace, for the love, for the joy that you give as we entrust ourselves to you as we receive your grace and forgiveness as we are aware of your presence that leads us through this life give you thanks. We look forward to the ways that you are going to lead us, the ways that you are going to show us uh, how to live lives that reflect you well to the world around us so that we can share with others the grace, the love, the goodness that you have shown to us. Thank you, God. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a little blessing here, but if you want to stick around for the, for the annual meeting, it's going to start in like five minutes, all right? So the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.